Good morning again. Uh, it's good to see everybody here. As, as I mentioned earlier, we are on our, our uh, almost to the end of the Battle Ready series where we got two more to go today and, and next week. And then we'll be starting our new series, which is in the book of Colossians. Um, and it's about going deeper into the Word of God and growing deeper in our relationship with Christ. You know, uh, you know in the series, we've been going through this this uh, spiritual warfare and just going through life, just different challenges in life. We started off talking about the reality that, of this war that we're in, this, this spiritual war, um, and that life is challenging and, and how, how you know, we have a real enemy that comes after us. And just look at the news and you see some of the horrible things that go on in the world. It doesn't take you long to realize just how, how dangerous and how difficult the world can be. We also talked about the, uh, we looked at the video about the rangers and, and how we should be training ourselves to, in this world and, this, and to deal with this spiritual battle. Uh, we talked about a lot of different things in this, this reality called, you know, spiritual warfare and spiritual wars. Um, this week we're, ta- we're going to be talking about engaging the enemy. Um, and, 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 you know, and the reality is, is that we, if we're in this war, we, we're going to engage these things and we're going to have things and challenges that that we're going to face, and we need to know what to do when we actually engage this, this enemy that's out there. You know, I was, uh, as I was thinking about this message, and, and I was just thinking about all the different things we face in life, but, but something that, that brought my attention is, um, or as I was preparing this message, I was thinking about all the silly things that we do in our lives. You know, I mean, think about it for a minute. Think about all the, all the stuff that we're facing. I mean, how many of here would say that they're perfect, Right? Nobody will say they're perfect. So we do things on a daily basis, and we, we make mistakes all the time. We do sometimes really stupid things. Sometimes I, I know it's so surprising, but I put my foot in my mouth quite often. I say things, and I think, what was I, what was I thinking? I've done things that just, I look back, and I have to laugh at myself. If, you know, have you ever heard that phrase, you know, if you, don't, if you can't laugh at yourself, you have no right to laugh at others? Well, I laugh at myself all the time. There was a time back in uh, years ago, I had a friend named Devin, and he worked at uh, a bookstore, kind of like Barnes & Noble. They had a coffee shop. They had uh, tons of books. It was called Borders Music. And, uh, and I would go visit him from time to time because I loved coffee. I'm a big coffee house guy. I wish we had a coffee house here. Um, and, and so I'd go visit him from time to time, get some books, read, and have a coffee. And so I was coming up, and outside there were some, some tables that people would go out and have their coffee. It was in Arizona, so it was always nice. And so they would come out there. So one day I'm coming to visit, and so I get out of the car. I'm walking down the parking lot, and I see this young man look just like Devin. So I walk up behind him. And you know where I'm going with this. I walk up behind him. Anybody know what a wet willy is? Lick your finger, put it in their ear. So I walk up to this guy, and I, I sneak up, and I'm like, shh. And I give him a wet willy. Yes, it was not Devin. It was another guy that worked in the coffee shop. I felt so bad. I felt so bad. I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. And, and I just turned bright red and I was embarrassed. You know, we do things all the time. We, we run through life and we, we come with challenges and we do things. And sometimes it's just us being knuckleheads. Sometimes it's external things that happen and we try to make this decisions uh, based on the situation. Some, some of these situations are real simple. Like I'm just, you know, I wet willy to a guy that I didn't know. Sometimes they're a lot more serious. Um, the other day, I was at uh, Michael's Pizza. I love Michael's Pizza. And so I was up there, and I took Danielle on a little date night for an hour. We had a pizza at Michael's, and I went to go pay. And one thing I said, I said, well, I was talking to the manager. I think his name's Jim. 
um, I was talking to him, and he's ringing me up, and I said, you know what? My wife thinks you put drugs in your pizza. I said, because it's so addicting. I can't get enough of Michael's. See, we're faced with this, these temptations, and we're, we're faced with trials, and we're faced with things that we just can't always, we, we need help dealing with in life. Life is challenging. Life is not always easy, is it? Anybody that's been on this earth more than 16 years knows that life can be challenging at times. And sometimes we have this enemy that's coming after us, shouting at us things, you know, shouting you know, that, that we're terrible people. So look at some of, these, uh, some of these things that the enemy uses. I mean, you're not qualified for this job. You shouldn't be there. Or you're not good enough. You know, sometimes we, we have these situations, these trials that come, and they're just part of it's just human nature, you know, that we have this sin nature. But sometimes we have this, this enemy that comes down and is attacking us. Sometimes it's, you know, you can't even pay your bills. You're not a good enough person. You're not a good adult because you can't pay your bills and you can't provide for your kids. Or sometimes the enemy will come along or, and the enemy can be through other people. It could be our own thoughts. It can come in all kinds of different directions. Sometimes, you know, you can't even save your own marriage and you're, you're, you're losing your kids. Sometimes we're faced with these situations that, that we just hear these these, the, the enemy shouting at us these horrible things. Sometimes, you know, you, uh, you can't stop your vices, like with me and Michael's Pizza. I swear, I should put stock in that company because it's so good. And, you know, sometimes we can't stop those vices and those, those, uh, those things that we're just, you know, uh, uh, addicted to. Some people are addicted to Coca-Cola. You know, they're Coke addicts. You know, Pepsi, Coke. You know, they, they, they love this and they can't stop. They have a hard time with it. They, refuse, they can't refuse pornography, or they, or they can't stop that inappropriate relationship. There's so many things that we're facing in this world. You know, this world is filled with, with challenges and addictions and, and hurts, you know, we, and we, we can't shake it. We know some of us live in the past, and we're stuck on these, these past failures or past things in our lives that, that just haunt us, and we can't let it go. Even as Christians, we, we sit there and we think, you know, I can't get, let this go. But yet we're saved and we're forgiven, but yet we still can't let these things go because the enemy will use it and throw it back in our face. There's all kinds of things that, that we deal with on a regular basis. So this message is going to hopefully help you engage the enemy, hope you, help you think about things a little differently and give you some tools at the end that will help you when you face these challenges, when you get that stinking thinking in there. And what do you do? How do you get rid of that? How do you, those, those lists of questions, those lists of things that we just went through, how do you get rid of that stuff? When you, want to, when you feel that urge to slander somebody or talk trash about somebody, how do you stop it? How do you deal with those things? How do you engage the enemy and keep yourself focused on God? See, inherent to life, of, or inherent to life it, we're in, it's inevitable trials, tribulations, and challenges that we face. We, we seem to be in battles all over the place. A wise person once said that in life, you're either coming out of a battle, you're in the middle of a battle, or you're just beginning a battle. Life is filled with battles. Standing at the ready in the very midst of our battles and our trials are two highly interested individuals, our enemy and God. On the one hand, our enemy stands out to discourage and defeat us and try to stop us from being godly people, trying to stop us from our relationship with God. On the other hand, you got to have God who's cheering you on, saying you can do it. He stands ready to encourage you, empower you, teach you, and help you through whatever it is that you face. 
The difference between trials and tribulation is a trial is different in that it can only be sent by God or allowed by God. And the purpose of trials is to deepen our relationship or to deepen our spiritual growth. There is a purpose for trials. The trials, God will either, God will start it or he will uh, allow it to happen in life. And it's to bring about God's plan for your life. Now, a temptation is very different. It's not directed by God. It's not directed by God and its purpose is destructive. A temptation is not sin, but it's the leading people to sin. Jesus was tempted. Jesus himself said, in the world, you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world, John 16. God has has witnessed temptation. Jesus has witnessed temptation. Jesus was simply saying that trials in life are inevitable. We can learn to be overcomers. We can learn to overcome these trials. We can learn to engage the enemy and actually be victorious. We can learn that. And James chapter 1 is one of my favorite verses. It says, Count it all joy, my brethren, when you, encounter, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It says right there, count it all joy when you meet Various trials. That's a tough one to swallow if you look at it just on the surface. See, normal people don't, don't enjoy trials. Normal people. Some people love trials. They go from one drama to another. But most people, most normal people, they don't like trials. They don't like to dig into, uh, get into those situations. In fact, most of us would do anything we can to avoid trials and tribulations. Wouldn't you agree? Most of us, wouldn't, we try to run from trials. We try to get away from it. What James is talking about here is that he's writing to people who are well acquainted with pain and suffering. He's well, well familiar. These folks are well familiar with trials. And he's telling them to count it all joy. These folks have had severe trials, losing their homes, losing their families. They're running away from, the, uh, from places for their lives because of uh, persecution. These folks know what it really means to have a trial. They have literally, they they flee literally for their lives to a strange place. This was not just inconveniences. This This was real hard trials. Losing your jobs, losing your children, losing your loved ones, fleeing your home just so you can survive. We in America, we don't understand that. We don't understand that kind of thing. But that's how hard that James is talking about here. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is the story of Job. And he's the epitome of, of hardships. It's, he's the epitome of, of what it means to really go down and have trials and tribulations. And I love the story of Job and his faith and how he, and how he overcame this and he stood up firm for God. There was, according to Scripture, there was no one right, more righteous in the Middle East than Job. He was an upright man. He was a man of God. No doubt, like Lot, he, he, he got angry when he saw the unrighteousness uh, and the wickedness that was going, along, going around the world during that time. God blessed Job with many children. He had seven sons and three daughters. I have five kids. I'm pulling my hair out with five kids most of the time, so I can only imagine what ten would be like. But he was blessed with a lot of kids. And he loved his kids. He was blessed with wealth. He had over 7,000 oxen, and, and he has servants and sheep, and, and uh, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen. 
500 donkeys. I mean, that's a lot. And I, I mean, he was very wealthy, considered one of the wealthiest of the, the region. He had blessed him with, with tremendous riches, and, and, and in a secret council, God and Satan met together. And they, they had this conversation. And Satan was found amongst the sons of God. And in the scripture it says sons of God. And that's referring to the angels. Angels came up and Satan snuck in behind them. And God said, why are you here? And so as they're talking, there's a challenge happened. A, a challenge between Job and, and Satan. I mean, uh, God and Satan. Satan's desire is to test people. His desire is to, to keep you from a relationship with God. And he's, and he's, and he's, and he's there to challenge each one of us but God on the other hand like I said is wants to encourage you and empower you but God mentioned Job that that Job's perfect in his integrity and so there's this challenge that happens look at Job chapter 2 verse 3 it says Lord asked Satan have you noticed my servant Job he is the finest man on earth he is blameless a man of complete integrity he fears God and stays away from evil and he has maintained his integrity even though you urged me to harm him without cause. See, Satan's uh, suggested that the reason why Job was, was so righteous and had all this integrity is because he was pampered by God. God looked at him and said, you know, Job, you're my favorite. I'm going to pamper you. I'm going to take care of you. Look how wealthy you are. Look at all the kids. You have, I blessed you with 10 kids, all these different things. And, and so Satan's using that and kind of throwing it back in God's face and saying, well, that's because you've been pampering him. Yeah, he doesn't know what it's like to be really challenged. Look at him. He's wealthy. He's far, well off. But then Satan turns around and says, you know what? Destroy his wealth, and he'll curse God. So now there's a challenge between the two. God allowed Satan, um, but allowed him to do it, but told him not to harm his health. He said, you know what? You can take care of other things. Take his wealth, but do not harm him physically. So Job was tested. His prosperity disappeared in a day. His kids were killed in different tra uh, tragic events. And he lost everything. Worse still, he had uh, lost, well, he lost everything. But then, so he passed this test. He passed this, this test with the famous words from Job 121. It says, naked, I came, naked came out of my mother's womb, naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So despite all of these things that he lost, he lost his wealth, he lost his family, now he's broke. Now all of those things happen in his life, and what's he do? He turns around, and he focuses on God. He says, you know what? Everything I have is from God. He gave it to me. He took it away. So be it. Blessed be God. That shows a lot about his integrity and his attitude about when the trials come. Because think about that. If you lost everything you own right now, everything, your home, your kids, your income, how would you respond? And that's a question only you can answer. How would you respond? Job here responded with, you know what? That's fine. The Lord gave it. The Lord take it away. In the second meeting... Satan uh, says, okay, well, you know what? I did all that. He passed. Fine. Let me attack his health. I bet you I took away his wealth. Let me attack his health. And I bet you he'll, he'll curse you. So now all of a sudden he turns around and God said, okay, fine. 
you know what? That's fine. Just spare his life. Do not take his life. You can do anything you want to him physically. Just make sure he stays alive. See, our enemy never gives up on us. No matter what. He can take away everything we own, but he'll still keep going. Still trying to get us. Job was ill with the plague of boils. And this is when we first hear of Job's wife. And I want you to think about his wife. You know, before I did this study, I actually never thought about the wife in this situation. Um, it just wasn't one of those things. I always thought about Job and his, his integrity and who, what kind of man he was. But you know what? His wife is sitting there, and his wife lost all her children. She was suffering too. His wife was going through, you know, lost all her children and all their wealth, and now her husband is pretty much on, her, on his deathbed, according to her. That's what she's seeing. She's suffering. She's hurting. And she turns around and says, why don't, you know, why don't you just curse God and die? I mean, she's in pain, and she's like, I'm done with this. Why don't you just curse God and die? Job doesn't respond like that. He lost the support of his wife, and that must have increased his sorrow. But you know what? It's God who sends the sun, the rain, the storm into this physical world. And according to his plans and his purposes, likewise, in our own lives, no matter what happens, it comes from God. In Job chapter 2, verse 10, it says, Shall we receive good at the hands of God and not evil? So now Job is, is sitting there with all this going on, and he's, in his, he's ill, and his wife is suffering, and saying, Curse God, be done with this. And here's this man who counseled others. He was considered righteous, and he was, he was this man who, who was loved other people, and usually the person that people go to for, for wisdom and they didn't understand, uh, his friends didn't understand why he was suffering. Neither did uh, his comforters fail to understand this, this unequal ro- uh, ratio of sin and suffering. And they started grappling with the, with the, the situation themselves. So here's Job, who's, who's suffering, and his wife has abandoned him, and now his friends are coming around, and they're trying to figure it out. They're scratching their head saying, what's going on with this man? This is the righteous man that we know. With the best intentions of the world, sometimes we can't understand what goes on in other people's lives. No matter what, there's people that were, right now we have people in the hospital that are suffering. Um, church members. I lost my father when I was in my 20s. That doesn't mean I understand what it's like for somebody to lose their, their spouse of 60 years. I don't know what that's like. As much as I would like to understand that, I don't. Other people are the same thing. As much as we'd like to understand and, and even relate to the, the other people in, uh, that are suffering and, and kind of uh, uh, you know, have some sympathy for them, we, a lot of times it's very difficult to understand where they're coming from. There's no formula to meet the needs of those who are enduring hardships around us. Neither the sufferer nor the comforter sees the whole picture the way God sees it. You know, one of the big just, just, uh, uh, injustices we do as a, as a body of Christ is when people are suffering, we throw out, well, you know, Romans 8.28, all things happen for those who are called according to his purposes. You know, we throw out these, you know, things, these, these verses that, that are supposed to make us feel better. John 3.16, you know, hey, just remember God. But you know what? We're still suffering. We're still in pain. We're still hurting. Sometimes we just need to understand that we go through this and people are going through this and we just need to encourage them. We need to just be there by their sides and, and just not try to answer all these big questions 
try to solve the problem. That's one of my, my challenges. And I think a few guys I was talking with recently, you know, we're fixers. You know, we, we like to fix things. And when uh, well, my wife has a problem, I want to fix it. I want to explain it. But this doesn't work. Sometimes we just need to be content that we go through life and are faced with these challenges, like Job is, and we need to focus on God. Now, during that time when Job was on, the, on his bed and he's suffering and he's hurting and his wife has abandoned him, he's lost his children, he's lost his wealth, he's lost everything, it felt like God was silent. It felt like God was abandoning him. It felt like God wasn't there for him. He felt lonely. And he, he turns around and says, you know what? I'm just going to curse my birth. I'm gonna, I, I just cursed the day I was born. Notice he didn't curse God, he just wished that he was never born because of the tremendous amount of pain and suffering he was going through. You know, sometimes we get so close to giving up. We get so close to when we face these things in our lives that are just horrible and painful and and we just want to cry out and lament and we just want to scream because of, of frustration or anger and we just want to give up. The great thing is, is God upholds us nevertheless. God upholds us and holds on to us, even during those times. Even when God didn't speak, he was still there. His friends tried to explain things, but you know what? They're, they're, it didn't work. It didn't help him. And the book of Job is not dealing primarily with the problem of suffering in the world. Rather, it deals with the problem of keeping faith with God in the face of suffering. See, we are, we are going to face things in our lives. We are going to face these, this enemy. We are going to face these tragedies. But we need to keep the faith. And that's what jo- the book of Job is all about, is keeping the faith in Christ. The reason that both Job and later God rejected this theological views offered by Job's friends is because they're answering the wrong questions. One suggested that, that since all men sin, so Job must have deserved his suffering. We say that in church sometimes. Well, you know, hey, we're all sinners, and we're going to all suffer. And, and because of your sin, you're going to suffer. Another friend uh, suggested that Job might even be suffering for his sins of his children who were who recently passed away. Maybe he was suffering because of the sins of his kids. See, his kids were raised in a very wealthy home, and they were spoiled a little bit. And Job, in in the book of Job, you'll see that Job was really worried that his kids would go wayward because of the indulgences they had. And so maybe maybe his friends were saying, and this, this particular friend was saying, you know, maybe it's because of the sins of your sons and daughters. Maybe it's because of them you're suffering. Because of the indulgences that you gave them. The third equated the level of Job's suffering with the level of Job's supposed guilt or hypocrisy. This man spoke that with the idea that suffering is meant to teach us something about ourselves. And that all suffering was meant to teach us something. Family and friends can sometimes be mere moralists, offering nothing more than clever words when faced with incomprehensible suffering. Yet Job held on to his integrity despite all. Despite all these things, he never cursed God. He held on to his integrity. And I love this verse in verse, uh, chapter 19, Job 19, 23 through 27. He ends this, this uh, or near the end, he says this beautiful confession of faith. He says, oh, that my words could be recorded. 
Oh, that they could, could be inscribed on a monument, carved in a, with an iron chisel, and filled with lead, engraved forever on, in the rock. But as far as me, as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and he will stand upon the earth at last. And after my body has decayed, it, yet in my body I will see God. I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes, and I am overwhelmed at the thought. Despite all those things that he faced and all these horrible things, his friends come in trying to explain everything away. His wife could tell him to just die. You know, I'm, so t- I'm just hurting myself and, and, and I'm, all this stuff. Why don't you just curse God and die? The boils and the, the Ill, illness that he was going through, the, the, everything he lost. And at the end, he comes with this confession of faith. Oh, you know what? Let these words be ingrained in a rock and let them live forever. But you know what? It's for me... My Redeemer lives, and I'll be in heaven for eternity, and I'll be able to see him with my own eyes. He goes right to God, and he praises God. He never lost focus of God. The patriarch Job was able to reach through the pain and grief of which he was so aware and towards a better day that was also very real to him. The speeches of God in Job 38 through 41 don't address the question of suffering at all, but the question as to the reality of God. With, just, with this, Job is satisfied. Everything he pales to insig- insignificance as the light of a person encountered God. Nothing compares to a relationship with God. Nothing compares to it. No matter what we face in life, nothing compares to the blessings that we get from having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Job's success in this trial ultimately lay, the fact, lay in the fact that he was as surely justified by faith. Even in the midst of this darkness, he was justified by faith. He stayed true to God. Job got back double for all he had lost, including a new family. And in heaven, he receives back even the family he lost. The family that he lost those ten kids, he still gets to see him in heaven. Not every sufferer is going to be restored physically, but Job's restoration, which was physical, stands as a type of a spiritual, a spiritual healing that we get. When we come, when we, when, before we're saved, before we're a Christian, we're dead spiritually. But what Job's this example is that we are, when we have this relationship with God, a relationship with Christ, and we accept that gift, we are restored spiritually. We are resurrected spiritually. Hebrews 13.5 says, Even in our darkest moments, let us remember Jesus who said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So what are some of the, so, so what are the, some of the challenges you personally face? If all of us are faced these things in life, if all of us face challenges uh, in our lives and we're, we're the, the reality of, of the enemy attacking is real, what is it that you personally are challenged with? What are you facing today? Is it unemployment or debt? Maybe you have $50,000, $60,000 in debt and, and you barely can make the payments. Maybe you're on the verge of bankruptcy. Maybe it's health issues and diseases or, or just our bodies breaking down. Maybe it's, it's depression or anger. Maybe there's thoughts of suicide. Maybe there's thoughts of, of, of de- like severe depression. 
Maybe there's issues of abandonment. Maybe you feel lonely and abandoned by people. Maybe you feel lonely, even though a member of this church, you're a member of the church, and you've been here for a while, but you still feel lonely inside. You feel like you're not connected with anybody. Maybe that's you. What are you facing? There's all kinds of, of challenges that we face, and the church, the body of Christ, is something that we should be able to talk about these things openly. We should be able to talk to about these things without judgment without harassment or talking down and belittling people because they struggle with alcohol or drugs. Or maybe they struggle. You know, the mental illness and depression is one of those things that people are so afraid to let out because of the stigma and the judgment that comes along with it. People don't share their depression or their anxiety. They don't share those things. Why? Because people judge them. They, 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 you know, when I first got into recovery and I stopped drinking and stopped hanging out with those things, um, I'm celebrating 21 years this year. 20 years drug-free. Some of you didn't know that. Some of you are thinking, oh, well, you might be even starting to think some judgment. That's fine. Judge all you want. But you know what? Some people don't share those things because of of, of judgment and the stigma that comes with it. But churches should be a place where we should be able to get those things out and talk about those things and challenge each other and be there for one another and be there to embrace one another and say, I'm sorry, I don't understand what you're going through, but you know what? I'm there for you. Whatever you need, I will help you. Sometimes that means patience with people. That means sometimes it's, that's just being a friend and listening to them and not totally over your head. You don't understand but you're there sharing stories and, and being an encouragement to one another. Every single person in this room, every single person in this community, in this county has problems. We all have things that we suffer through. The enemy is attacking this area with drugs and, and, and abuse and child neglect. And I mean, the list is long. The list is right here. This is just a few of them. We can do something about it as a church. We can do something about it for each other and encourage one another and be there and always focus on Christ. So what is it that you deal with? Start sharing that with people. Start getting healing from that. And next week, we're actually going to talk about healing from the battle. And we're going to talk about this when we go through the spiritual warfare and the fact that we're engaging this enemy. Well, next week, we're going to talk about a little bit of that, that, you know what, this is what it means to heal and to heal that hurt and that pain that comes from this life that we live. So I want to finish up with, with a, uh, oh, and that's my two-minute warning here. I want to finish up with a couple things. Um, and, and this is going to give you a couple key things. There's seven little points, real simple. You might want to write these down. But these are like some, some little traits that will help you deal with challenges as you face them. The trials. So when we, when we overcome these temptations, or we, we, whether it's a temptation or a trial, here's some things that you can do. The first one is look for a way to avoid the temptation. You can run from temptation. When, if you have a drinking problem, don't go to a bar. Okay, that's pretty, it seems like common sense, right? But you'd be surprised how many addicts and alcoholics say, you know, I can still go to the sports bar and watch the game. No, that's what you did before when you were drinking. So now you can't do that. So what do you, what's the suggestion in recovery? You avoid places that lead you to drinking. So it, it seems like common sense, but we also um, could do that in other ways. If you have a tendency to gossip, 
And you know that if you go over to this group of people, I'm going to start gossiping. Well, guess what? Love you. I'm not going to hang out with you because I always gossip when I'm around you. Those types of things. You can't avoid these things. The next one is uh, submit your thoughts to God. As you, as you face these, these trials and these temptations and, and whatever it is, you just go, God, you know, I've I got to give this up to you. Be honest. Say, you know what, Lord? I am struggling here. That girl looks good. That boy looks hot. I'm struggling here. I got to get these impure thoughts out of here. Be honest with God. Give it to him. Tell him what you think. Submit your thoughts to God. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, verse 5. It says that we should take every thought captive to make us obedient to Christ. So we need to think about our thinking. If we catch ourselves thinking about these things, maybe we should stop and try to, try to give that to God and ask him to remove that. The next is to submit your will to God's. Most sin is grounded in selfishness. Most sin that we run across, most, uh, most when we, when we uh, submit to these temptations, it's usually because of selfishness. The reason why I go to Michael's three times a week, okay, maybe not three, more like four or five, but the reason why I go to Michael's so often it's because I submit. I'm selfish. I want Michael's pizza. It's freaking good. So why do I submit to that? It's because I'm selfish. I want this. Well, why do I want to? Why would, uh, it's, uh, back to an alcoholic, why would an alcoholic want to go back to the sports bar? Because they want it. Deep down inside, they want to fall. That's why they're entertaining those thoughts. But you've got to submit yourself to God's will and look at Scripture. And, and, and if you're giving it to God and you're submitting there's an act involved, and you're saying, okay, God, I'm struggling with this. I'm going to walk away, and I'm going to submit to your will because you don't want me living that kind of life. Colossians 3.2 says, set your affection on the things above, not on the things on earth. Focus your attention on God's things. Next is to, we have to expect it to come. We have to expect it to come. We will be tempted. We, everybody here, I think you all know that. I don't think this is new news here. But we are going to be tempted. So instead of just ignoring that fact, we need to embrace the fact that we are going to be tempted and expect it. And have a, have a plan in place that if you're struggling with something, maybe you have an anger problem. Maybe you need to have a plan in place to be able to deal with those things. Maybe you have a plan in place to, if I'm starting to get angry, I'm going to go into my little closet and uh, that's soundproof, and I'm going to yell, and I'm going to let it go out. Maybe, I, maybe there's some kind of plan that needs to be in place to this. But you can expect it to come, so put a plan in place. Put on the armor of God. Dig in the Word of God. Deal with these things. Number five, remind yourself of the consequences of sin. In recovery, they use this thing called play the tape. It's a phrase that they use. And what it is, is you, when, when, when I was counseling addicts, what they would do is we'd say, look, right now you're in detox. Right now you are at the worst of the worst. You've gotten to the point where you're, you're, you've lost everything that you own. You're on the streets. You're, you're down to 100 pounds, and normally you're like 250, and you're just like a, a toothpick. And this is the worst of it. Record a mental tape. Record a tape of the sins and the, well, the, the life that you lived in the midst of the addiction. And then anytime you get that urge, you play that tape back and you remember what it was like. You remember those days when you're, uh, when you're suffering 
Remember those days when you OD'd. Remember those days when maybe you, maybe you, you know, lashed out in, in anger or something to somebody. Remember those days that you sinned against your wife. Remember those days you sinned against your kids. Remember them. Remember the consequences of those sins. Remember as you go and, you, and you're tempted and you're faced with this thing again, remember it. Because we have a tendency, if you're kind of an optimist, you have a tendency to romance things and think, ah, oh, it wasn't so bad when I went bankrupt last year. It wasn't so bad. And we have a tendency to kind of minimize it. Don't do that. Be real. Look at the sin, the consequences of these sins. And play it through. Hebrews 11, 24 and 25 says, you know, reminds us of what a man sows, so he reaps. When we sin, we hurt ourselves and the people around us. Remember the consequence of sin. Because it does affect all of us. Right, number six, memorize the word of God. Psalms 119.9 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from the, your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. D.L. Moody says this, Sin will keep you from the book, or this book will keep you from sin. I love that quote. Sin will keep you from reading the scripture. Sin will keep you from looking into this. Your, your desire won't be to be confronted with that. But when you read this, and you dig in the Word of God, you memorize it, and you and let it just and be every being of your body, in your life, it'll prevent you from sinning. How? When you go to um, lust after somebody, you'll remember Jesus' quote about lust. Or if you start to slander somebody, you'll remember a verse about that. And then the Holy Spirit will bring these things to mind, and that'll help you get away from that temptation and away from that, that trial and that hurt or, or those things that are, that are keeping you or getting you in towards sin. And finally, the most important, 2 Peter 3.18. You need to cultivate a relationship with God. You need to cultivate this relationship. It's not I'm saved and that's it. It's not I'm saved and I'm done. I can go do whatever I want. Well, kind of technically you can, but you, why would you? You just got saved. When you, when, you, when you have a relationship with God, you should be seeking to grow in knowledge of Jesus Christ. You'll hear me say that a lot of times in my prayers. Father God, help us grow in a, a grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's from 2 Peter 3.18. We need to always be cultivating. There's also a verse um, in 2 Timothy. It talks about train ourselves up, which is talking about continuing to cultivate this thing called a relationship with God. Now, we have, you know, as you guys uh, that are in relationships and marriages or even relationships with other people, if you don't talk to those people and you don't spend time with those people, how good is your relationship going to be? If you are married and you never talk to your spouse, how good is that marriage going to be? It's not going to be great. Well, the same thing's true when we're with our relationship with God. If we're not praying and seeking God and, and having, building this relationship and investing our time and energies into this relationship, then our relationship isn't going to be great. It's not going to be very strong. We might think it is. That's how divorces happen a lot. A divorce will happen when, next thing you know, the guy is sitting there thinking, hey, my relationship is great. The wife is sitting there thinking, no, it's not. It happens all the time. 
See, well, if we don't dig in the Word of God and cultivate this relationship, we might be imagining this great relationship we have with God, but in reality, we don't barely know Him. So those, are, those steps, these seven steps, are, these seven things are things that you can do to help you fight against temptation. But you've got to cultivate that. The most important one is cultivate that relationship with God. And if you don't have a relationship with God, you need to have one. You need to ask Jesus Christ into your life. You need to turn your life over to him and say, you know what, Lord, I can't, these, these struggles, these things that we're facing out of my life, these sins, I need your help. And that's really what turning our life over to God, that's what this relationship thing is. It's really saying, Jesus, you're Lord. You died on the cross for my sin. You've forgiven me. I want to follow you. I want to make that conscious effort. I want to just follow you and everything I do. And we can do that right now. You can do that right now, right today. We're going to get ready to sing a song. We're going to uh, have a, a time, an altar call that we do every Sunday. This is a time not only for you to, to come to Christ for the first time, but also if you're hurting, if anything on those lists that you have, or if you're in anger, frustration, worry, debt, whatever it is, whatever you're hurting from, come to the altar, kneel down and pray. And give it to God. Give it to Him. I would love to see the altar filled with us humbly going before God and saying, Lord, I can't do this. This is yours. That's my dream. Because that's where honesty comes. When you really are broken and honest, we all suffer at times. So take this time to come down, kneel down, and get right with God. And just give it up to Him. Jan? Let's, let's sing.